Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 12 of the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. Today, we're honored to learn from Dr. Matthew J. Thomas about his latest book entitled Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second Century Reception, which is a brilliantly researched book providing insights into how the second century church understood Paul's writings on the use of the law. His latest book received praise from biblical scholars like Alistair E. McGrath, John Barclay, and N.T. Wright. So I sort of geeked out in this conversation because I never studied second century church writings before. And I really love learning from Dr. Thomas on how some of these passages in the Bible, especially regarding justification and the use of the law, were originally understood. I walked away from this discussion feeling encouraged and challenged to start reading some of these foundational Christian writings to help me with my own understanding of the Bible. We actually talked for about two hours, so I edited this conversation down into two separate podcasts. So in this episode, Dr. Matthew Thomas discusses his spiritual journey into faith, his academic studies on scripture and the early church, ways theologians have divided over pivotal issues of faith versus faithfulness, how reformers like Calvin and Luther diverged from early church fathers, and why second century writers can give us the clearest view of how these perplexing biblical passages are meant to be understood. Dr. Thomas earned his PhD from Oxford University and serves as a professor of biblical studies at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley and instructor in theology at Regent College in Vancouver. Here's our conversation. So I like have just very, very little insight into like the early church fathers. Yeah. And I was sharing with you like, Growing up, like I, I fell in love early on with like people like Luther and Calvin and Charles Hodge and Spurgeon, and a lot of them came from kind of like that reformed kind of tradition, hmm. and so that led me into like a Presbyterian Reformed church where I just I learned a lot, and the pastors were very much like study Burkhoff and study these systematics and the Westminster yeah. Confession of Faith. So you kind of know my kind of path, yeah. And and as I like kind of been exploring different traditions like I've just been falling in love with like just different ways that different traditions are looking at scripture hmm. and and also Paul specifically because Paul like really did so much as far as Christian theology is concerned as yeah. far as like doctrine of original sin justification and so when I was going through um looking at upcoming books on Amazon I saw your book and then I started to research I was like oh my gosh you've been like focused on Paul and this idea of like works of the law for like, I think at least nine years. Is that right? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. So I want to ask you like, what got you started? Cause that's a huge chunk of your life devoted to Paul yeah. and specifically works of the law. Yeah. And you know, can you share us a little bit about your journey? Like what led you to that point? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks Mike. So you know, it's interesting. There's probably there's probably a lot of parallels in our you know our background as well. Um, and it's interesting if you if you trace this all the way back, you can trace this all the way back to really when I was you know in middle school and high school, uh, and really wrestling with a lot of kind of what you know what I was you know taught in church and just trying to figure out hey how do I how do I make sense of you know what I what I've been given here. Because uh, I was, you know, I wasn't from a Christian background or, you know, originally, and, you know, the faith had had a really big impact in my life. But I think the way that the way that this sort of faith works paradigm was presented to me. So, you know, being justified by faith apart from works of the law, the way that that was sort of that, if I was to give like a summary statement of the way that I was, you know, presented is, 
you go to heaven when you die. So that's sort of what justified means. Um, because you believe this thing, so that's faith, and not because of, uh, you know, not because of any, anything else that surrounds anything you do. And, um, I mean, I guess I want to say before anything else, I mean, I still think that there's, I still think there's some, some truth to that in the sense that, you know, we, uh, it's, it's not like, it's not like God goes and receives us into relationship with him because we have some sort of pre-existing achievements or something like that. You know, we, we arrive, you know, precisely as, as beggars, uh, you know, to his, to his mm. mercy. And so uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's something I could tell that was really, that was really right in that. And then I think what I found difficult was trying to figure out how you could go and map that paradigm onto the rest of scripture. And so, you know, uh, kind of like uh, kind of put on the shelf, reconciling that paradigm with, uh, you know, with the Old Testament or rep- reconciling that paradigm with, you know, Jesus or the other, you know, epistles like James or whatever. Even just when I was looking at when I was looking at Paul's writings and saying, OK, how do I how do I fit this onto Paul's writings? I really struggled with that because it seemed like there's a lot of things that Paul was saying that seemed like he, uh, you know, he, it's, it's almost like he presupposed that the congregations that he was dealing with. Uh, that there's kind of a moral framework that they had to adhere to. And if they didn't adhere to it, you know, they were, they were toast, they're out the door. <laughs> and so I was just trying to think, how does that, how does it, how does all these pieces fit together? And, you know, for me, it really actually, it caused quite a bit of, of difficulty. And I think, mm. you know, I, I, I got to the point where I, I was just basically like, I don't know if I can really believe this stuff anymore. So I kind of, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, just stopped practicing the faith for a while because even though I, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from it entirely because I had seen the, you know, the effects in my life. I also just had, I had no real clear way of making sense of this dichotomy. And then it also sort of left open the door. It's like, well, hey, if you prayed this prayer, you believe this thing, you're good regardless. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm good regardless. So whether it's, whether this is true or this is false, I guess it's not really going to change for me. Cause I, you know, I prayed the prayer and I did the thing. So, <laughs> um, and now, and you know, it's interesting. That's a, uh, it's, it's easy to kind of look at that and say, uh, boy, that's not, that's not fantastic theology. Um, that, that's, you know, that, that might be some, some kind of broader theological, you know, truth, you know, re- reduced to some, uh, you know, to some, to some, to some caricature. But that was, like, that was genuinely the ideas that I was, that I was engaging with. That was really what was, you know, what was, what was live there. And so, um, as I, as I went on, um, there was, uh, I mean, gosh, there's, there's just too much in the faith and, you know, that I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't deny and too much that, you know, God had done in my, in my own life that I, you know, I couldn't, couldn't deny. And so I, you know, long story short, I ended up, you know, going into, into doing, you know, to, to ministry work after I went to, to Pepperdine University and, um, was, I was working at an inner city ministry in, in Oakland called, uh, called Harbor House Ministries. I was running an after school program with the kids there, uh, which is great. And still, I mean, just some of the, people in the world were closest with. It was a fantastic ministry. And um, I was, I had gotten into N.T. Wright's work and had heard, uh, he had he'd given this class called Romans in a Week at the Regent College. Uh, this is, I think back in the 90s, maybe. Oh, wow. And, and it's, it's one of the, I think it's, I think it's probably their most downloaded course they, they have, you know, over the, over the decades. It's a really popular course. So I had, I had come across this and I, I heard, this is a section he's talking about the word faith. And he says, yeah, you know, translators aren't really sure what to do in this particular instance because 
the word for faith, sopistis, is also the same word for faithfulness. And so we don't really know, do you translate this, you know, faith of Christ or faithfulness of Christ or faith in Christ, or, you know, et cetera. And I, I remember I was, I was driving a car at the time. I was dra- driving to work and like, I, you know, I, 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 I almost need to pull over and just sort of like uh, <laughs> take very deep breaths. Cause I was just thinking like, I, as, as I was listening to this, yeah. Sort of the, every all the theological paradigms that I had, you know, sort of inherited as a kid that I couldn't quite figure out, they just sort of all like turned to dust all all at once. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a second, if faith and faithfulness are the same word, then this can't be, you know, Paul can't be giving this sort of strict kind of belief versus obedience or action category, uh, because both of those terms are on the same side of this dichotomy that he's setting up, and so you can't be justified you know, by faithfulness and not faithfulness, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And so mm. if, if Paul then meant something, you could say, um, uh, something more fully orbed when he said, you know, when he used the word, word pistis, um, if he means something more than just kind of, you know, belief in a cognitive kind of, kind of sense. Um, and it, it includes our response and includes the response of fidelity and, you know, lo- loyalty to God. Then what is he, what's he reacting against? What's that other term that's there? And how does this whole dichotomy, you know, actually, actually, actually work? What's the actual conflict that Paul's, Paul's engaged in? And so that then led me to saying, okay, well, what's, what's the other term? How do we, you know, how do we make sense of that? And then from there, it was looking in the old and new perspectives on Paul and seeing, you know, what Wright said about that versus what people like Luther and Calvin said about that. And then finally, you know, uh, going and starting look at what what does the early church say about this and how does this kind of relate to our contemporary debates and everything? That's fantastic. And I feel like um, going back to that challenge of early in your life as you were kind of exposed to one form of Christianity mm-hmm. and then going through that season of like doubting, like what does this really mean? And that place where you got, and I, I think a lot of us get there mm-hmm. when you start to take the Bible seriously or you start to study mm-hmm. where you start to feel like, what does this really mean to me? What is, is this true? Um, you start having all these questions and, and, and the more serious you take the Bible, sometimes the more questions you'd have, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't make things easier by studying the Bible. Things get more complicated and yeah. then there's more, more viewpoints yeah. that you start getting exposed to. Um, how did you kind of come to terms with that kind of doubting period and then moving forward to like go to Pepperdine and then like take your faith really seriously to actually go to seminary and like yeah. pursue biblical studies? Yeah, boy, that's a fantastic question. Like, you know, I think for me, um, I think even though there was there was questions that I had unanswered, I think um, I think coming into contact with real evil and then being reminded by contact with real evil of the reality of, you know, of, of real goodness and God's own goodness and having experienced that in my life and seeing the way that um, you know, God had shared his own, his own goodness with me and going and shaping me in a way that was different from, you know, the background and the way that I grew up and stuff. I think for me, I, I kind of got to a point where I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't have all the answers to these questions, but I know that you're worthy. I know that you, I know that you are more worthy than every, anything else I've come across. And I know that, you know, this faith that you've, you've given me, there's nothing of, you know, of greater worth than I've, you know, I've experienced. And so, for me, it was it was coming to that realization and having confidence in the truth. Just you know, 
that, you know, if God is, is the author of all truth, that, you know, that the truth will be vindicated in some kind of way. And God will show himself to be vindicated, even if I, I can't see the way that that's going to work out, you know, right now. And so, you know, for me, that was kind of going to Pepperdine. You know, I'd never gone to a Christian school before. And so for me, it was actually... Um, I, I kind of come from the opposite of a, of a sheltered background. And so it was, for me, it was actually, I was quite refreshing going to a place mm. um, where, you know, you had a place where the kind of the life of the mind and also the life of, you know, faith were, were integrated in the way, the way they are there. Uh, you know, for me, it was a really, really beneficial place. And then honestly, you know, as far as ministry stuff, uh, kind of any kind of scholarship thing, things like that, that that wasn't that wasn't sort of my you know my life plan um you know i didn't if anything you know growing up i was kind of the more kind of skeptical cynical kid and you know i think as you as you allude to some of that it was just like taking it seriously asking you know asking hard questions there and then not always really getting like serious answers to those to those questions so you know i was actually i was i was political science and international studies when i was undergraduate mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't a uh a theology guy or any, any any anything like that and um this is uh, this is just before my senior year i i experienced a pretty dramatic call to ministry um and i i'd started volunteering at that you know uh, that place harbor house and i i mean that's kind of the only way i can say it, is there was a sort of a personal experience that repeated itself where i could sense that god was wanting me to go towards towards ministry stuff and so i uh i just tried to say yes to that and suddenly had a whole bunch of things you know open up where people said hey can you speak for this thing can you be the the ministry person for this and i'm like you realize i have zero credentials to do anything right <laughs> and they're like yeah that's fine just come and do it so uh, that was that was how I, how i got got started and um and then yeah it was just kind of you know i guess you can say just sort of walking in faith where it's like i know that i've i've seen these things to be true i think particularly you know doing doing inner city ministry i think that in some ways that was actually easier for me because um the way that um the way that i'd been raised when i was younger there's a lot of parallels with the kinds of stuff that you know i was running into with you know kids that were, were working with and so for even though I didn't have the answer to every theological question, I could look at their lives and I could look at my life when I was their age and say, "Hey, God took me and he 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 turned me and 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 you know brought me to a very different place than where um you know my my life you know should should have ended up uh you know if, if he hadn't gone and done done what he had done and so for me, it was it, it made it easy to kind of go and to be able to serve in that that kind of context. And then just since then, um, just the way that, you know, experience, you know, God's direction and faithfulness has just been been unreal. Um, I never got when I got into that, I was never thinking, hey, you know, so this is going to lead to all that stuff in Paul that you could never figure out. All that <laughs> suddenly, all that eventually be, being being resolved and actually, you know, being able to contribute something, you know, uh, kind of to scholarship stuff. I had I never had any clue that any of this was gonna gonna happen. I love how you explain kind of like how faith impacted you personally and then you like leading you to do ministry and outreach and helping the youth. And then like God using that critical skeptical mind that you had to like mm -hmm. apply it to like things like works of the law and like Paul's yeah. words and like taking your questioning and like going deep, like let's go deep on this. And I just love that like in your search. Like you're like, let's take a look at the early church. Let's see what yeah. they said. How did they interpret Paul? Because like, talk about how do you get to the authorial intent? You try to get as close as you can 
to like the readers of the time to get a sense of what was Paul meaning here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so tell me about like that journey, like as you began to like explore that concept yeah. um, of like, okay, justified by faith and is it faith, faithfulness? And then like, what is that opposed to works of the law? What is works of the law? Walk us through like how you began to like query that. Yeah. I, so, so for me, I had always, from what I knew about the early church, I'd always just held a high, a high view of it without really knowing a whole lot. Um, I think, you know, like a lot of people would just kind of bouncing between different, you know, denominations, ecclesial contexts and stuff. I just didn't, didn't have a whole lot of real, real knowledge besides, gosh, these people sound really cool from the little tidbits I've picked up and I would really love to study them so, someday. And so, uh, so I, you know, I already, I already had, you know, kind of a, a high view to go and start with. And some of that is just, you know, just based off of, uh, you know, if you're thinking in relation to scriptural interpretation, like, these are people who share the same same context. The people who are, you know, historically there's there's so much so much closer and have such closer ties than we can ever possibly hope to go and to reconstruct by you know the best of my methods that we can go and come come up with. Um, there's a there's a there's a quote from C.S. Lewis which you probably come come across uh, that is that features uh, in, in the conclusion of the of the book uh, from his his fern seed and elephants, um, which just kind of says. You know, the idea that uh, that we as sort of modern people can go and reconstruct everything perfectly and that everybody and, you know, the original context just, you know, who understood the culture, who understood everything that they didn't get this. This is like this idea is so preposterous. They, I almost don't know how to engage with it. And um, uh, and yeah, I so anyway, I, I I've, I've kind of always had had that just as a, you know, as as a sense of, you know, when, you know, when you need to you know, understand what scripture means in one way or another, that you kind of have that as a, you know, as a, as a guide, though it wasn't something that originally I'd, I'd gone and tested a whole, whole lot of. Um, I, I really got into, you know, I, when I started at Regent College, I had a chance to start reading through the, the early church fathers and was just, just blown away. Um, I was, I, 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 the richness that was there, I just found to be un unbelievable. And um, so that was that was already happening as I was kind of going out at the same time as, as I was doing this this uh, this work on justification. So you know, so papers I was writing on justification and stuff, and then um, particularly this the, the, this paper on on the works of the law, which became sort of the, the seed article, which then became the dissertation, which then became the book in the first version, and now in the the new version is coming out with IVP. Um, the uh, that that paper I I wrote. Uh, the, or you see, the, the genesis of that paper is I was just doing an assessment of of, of uh, the old and new perspectives on works of the law because the longer I studied, it kind of seemed like this is really your your key issue that divides them. Um, there's there's a lot of other stuff that they're more or less on the same page or at least kind of in the same same ballpark. And when it comes to works of the law, they're just they weren't in the same ballpark. They're they weren't even playing the same sport. They're it's totally, mm. it's totally different. And so uh, so that was what I was trying to reconcile. And I was just trying to you know write a paper to reconcile on a pure kind of exegetical basis. But I was reading uh, John Calvin's commentary on the Romans, um, and uh, I was I was just in the, in the Regent Library look, looking through it, and I had read a lot of Calvin the the semester previously for for J. I. Packer. So I got really used to the way that he he goes goes and writes and just uh, you know rhetorically the way that he goes goes and operates, and so I I got to the section I was looking at in Romans three twenty, 
Um, and he goes, he says, it is a matter of doubt, even amongst the learned, what the works of the law mean. And then he goes, which I thought, well, that's a really interesting admission. And then he goes and he says, you know, the addition, the addition of law induced, uh, you know, Chrysostom, Origen, Jerome, I think this is referring to, you know, the ceremonies of the Mosaic law. And then he goes and he proceeds to say, I'm aware that St. Augustine has a different position from what I'm saying, too. And then he kind of says, hey, all these guys are wrong. And then he sort of goes and proceeds. And I'm just thinking, like, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because Calvin really, if you, I don't know if you had a chance to read, you know, a lot of Calvin. He loves bringing the church fathers with him. He loves, uh, you know, specifically Augustine, but Chris Austin, you know, any of these guys. Uh, he loves to go on any disputed matter. Um, he, he always goes and brings them along. He says, well, Chris Austin agrees with me here, or, you know, we're, I'm saying the same thing that, you know, Augustine says. And so that, you know, that's just a commonplace across, you know, across his writings, and especially when there's a lot at stake. And here I'm looking at this and thinking, like, this seems like this is the place where everything is at stake. <laughs> right, not, like, right. Not like, not like every single thing in the whole universe, but as I'm going through this, it's like, wow, it really seems like this is your, your, your kind of key hinge thing. And he doesn't cite anybody who's, who has the position that he has. This is really odd. I was just standing there looking around. I wonder if you looked in the early church and you looked at what they thought about works of the law. I wonder what, I wonder how they interpreted this. And I wonder, you know, if you looked in that, I wonder how that would actually relate to what we're calling the old and new perspectives on Paul. Because here is, you know, Calvin, who, you know, we're thinking is this old perspective guy. But when he's looking at the really old interpreters, He's saying they're all wrong, and he doesn't. Mm. He doesn't. He doesn't cite anybody that he says is right. He says he says they're all wrong, and that's that's just it's uncharacteristic for him. So that was the big surprise was going and, and you know looking in these you know, these early interpreters and finding that so much of what they say sounds similar to folks like N.T. Wright and what we what we call you know the, the the new perspective on Paul. So we have this. We have this funny debate where we're calling one side the new perspective, the other side the old perspective, and the whole thing is kind of standing on its head. Um, so, anyway, so that's that's some of how I how I first got got into this. So it was a credit to a credit to Calvin and a credit to uh, to Dr. Packer for having us having us read read lots of him. Well, and and I love like again like your critical mind. Like you read that, and a lot of us might just skip over. Like okay, Calvin didn't know. He's just moving on. But you're like, oh no, actually this is interesting, and you're like digging in. Yeah. Going, wow, Calvin's like going against like the church fathers who he quotes all the time, like yeah. Augustine, like he loves Augustine. He's always like referring back to Augustine. And now he's like yeah. challenging Augustine's thoughts here yeah. and, and kind of going alone, which is like dangerous territory for any of us when we kind of yeah. go alone. Because um, what, what if we're wrong, especially on yeah. a pivotal point, like works of law versus faith, like what's what's actually being meant here? That's that's always the um I don't know, the dangerous territory that I feel like I get into sometimes, especially as like Protestant, like I'm like reading the Bible by myself. I have commentaries that I'm referring to in study Bibles, yeah. but I feel like many times, like I'm like, what if I'm getting this wrong? Right. Yeah. What if I'm getting this wrong? Cause I'm like, I'm reading it for myself and I'm yeah. referring to, you know, and we get into trouble too. Like when, if we're all reading different commentaries, different Bible study tools that maybe contradict each other, totally. like that's, Right. That, that leads totally. to a lot of trouble. <laughs> no, so it's, I mean, what you're saying is really, I think is really important. And for me, what I recognized was that I think I recognized that when it came to sort of questions of authority, that 
I already implicitly recognized the authority of the early church because when it came to the texts themselves and the transmission of the text. So, you know, which, which books are, you know, constitute inspired scripture uh, among, you know, the variety of books that you're going to find that, you know, are, uh, you know, that, that you're going to find within the history of early Christianity, which of these go and constitute inspired scripture. And then the, the rea- the sort of the reliability of, of transmitting, you know, these, these, these texts faithfully through the centuries. I recognize that on you know on both of those grounds, I already said, yeah, the early church's authority is, is you know is the authority. Not that there's some sort of independent authority, but there is a I I just implicitly think that that God has gone and you know given them the authority to go and to to do this, so that um, you know if I guess you could say kind of following Luther, if somebody wants to go and you know toss the book of James out and say, hey, this isn't by the apostles. Like, no, I. I don't, I don't think that you can go and do that because I think that there is, you know, sort of that, that consensus of, of, of the early church, you know, if, just thinking to myself, like if, you know, if God, if God wasn't guiding the church of the martyrs, like who, you know, who would, who would his promises of guidance apply to? Um, Cause I know that I'm not a martyr. I haven't, I haven't done anything, you know, you know, in, in the, in the realm of uh, being as, you know, as, as cool as, you know, as Ignatius of, Ignatius of Antioch or any, you know, you know, Justin Martyr himself or any, any, any figure, figure like this. So, um, you know, if it, if, if you don't have sort of an, you know, an implicit level of, you know, trust in God's guidance of, of, of the early church, then, you know, who, who, you know, to who, to whom will the, 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 the promises that, you know, that, that Christ goes and makes as far as, you know, the Holy Spirit leading it into, into all truth, who would that, who would that apply to? <laughs> so for me, that was always like, uh, if 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 you were to to deny um, there being a kind of authority with the early church like that, then it just it always seemed to me like the whole the whole project of Christianity would sort of sort of like kind of crumble. Like it doesn't um, you could you could you could then just sort of do pretty much pretty much anything and interpret things any, any which which way. And so at the very least, that seemed like that was like the the most solid foundation I could I could come across. And then you know, building on that is just thinking, you know, if this is, if I, if, if I'm reliant on them for the texts themselves, then it's at least reasonable to think that they might know something about what the texts mean. Um, that's, that doesn't seem like it's a stretch that if, you know, if, 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 you know, if, you know, by God's mercy, he's gone and preserved these texts and transmitted these texts through this, through the agency of the early church, then it makes sense to go and to look and say, you know, if we're trying to figure out what it, what is it, what do these texts mean? Um, you know, why don't I, why don't I go and ask, <laughs> ask them? That seems, that seems reasonable. And, you know, it's funny, you know, it, there's a, there's another line in the book uh, that kind of starts the, the third section, which is the lengthy section that looks at the early interpretation of the works of the law, where uh, Irenaeus just goes and says the same thing, where he says, hey, if, if there is to arise some, dis, some dispute on some important question, uh, with regard to the faith, how would you go and solve this? And so he's writing about 180 AD and he says, well, it seems obvious you would just go and ask the churches, you know, that, you know, that held kind of constant discourse going all the way time, all the way back to the, the time of the apostles, because, you know, they knew this stuff, they, they knew this personally. So um, anyway, uh, that's, that's some of how, how I got, got into to all, all of that. And I like that you mentioned, kind of the old versus new perspectives on Paul, especially in relationship to the works of the law. And 
I um, actually never really, I guess I've been out of the loop because I, I kind of was just kind of, I guess, raised with, like I mentioned, kind of the reform tradition. So that, I guess that would be the old kind of view of perspective of Paul. Yeah. Um, but also like, I love N.T. Wright. And so like, I never really heard the term like new perspective on Paul until recently. Mm. So can you kind of like share a little bit about like old versus new in relationship to works of the law, just to kind of yeah. give like categories. Like I don't really know too much about yeah. the old versus new. And is there yeah. a third? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's a good question. Well, so part, part of the difficulty is that when you really go and spend a lot of time with the primary sources, um, you'll find that it, especially when it comes to the, the way that they think Paul is reasoning that even among the old and new perspectives, you're going to find a lot of, you're going to find a lot of difference between just within, within those categories. Mm. And so that, that for me, uh, you know, seeing how different, uh, seeing how different Luther and Calvin, uh, how different they, they understood Paul's logic. That to me was, was really fascinating when I had a chance to just spend a lot of time you know, re- reading them and why they think, Paul is is rejecting works of the law, and then similarly, when the, with the new perspective, with you know with Sanders and Dunn, Dunn and Wright, uh, so the main figures that, that I go and engage with in the book, um, the the even if they agree on the matter that you know as far as what are the works of the law, what does practice them signify, um, they all have quite different reasoning for why they think Paul is is, is rejecting these. And so they end up just sort of like kind of all over the places as well. And so um, that, you know, there's enough there's enough coherence to be able to go and to still use these categories and still talk about old perspective, new perspective. But really, when you spend a lot of time with the primary sources, you recognize that it's not it's not not uniform. And even figures like, you know, like you might think like Luther and Calvin, um, you know, that would they would be more or less uniform. It's really, really interesting to say, see how different their reasoning actually goes, goes and runs. Um, I just, I think it's fascinating. It makes for some, some, some really, really interesting reading. Um, it, when it comes to the question of, you know, what is, it, what, like, what are we talking about when we talk about worse of the law? Luther and Calvin, and then the, the sort of the kind of Lutheran and, and Reformed traditions that follow from them. They tend to interpret works of the law as anything that one can go and do to, you know, to earn salvation. And so to be justified before God. And it's usually interpreted at an individual level. And so the significance of doing these is you're you're trying to earn merit to be saved before God. So you yourself. Um, so that's so there's kind of anything that you can sort of it's a it's kind of a catch all cat category. Um, interestingly, it goes um, and includes both works done apart from God's grace and those that are empowered by God's grace, uh, you know, also. And that that's not directly relevant to, you know, to, to you know, to the early perspective stuff. But when you get to, to the theology of St. Augustine, that's when that that sort of distinction is there because they're sort of distinguishing them, themselves and their interpretation from from Augustine's interpretation there. If you are to look at the new perspective and say, what is what do they understand by, by works of the law? Uh, those figures are going to say, when Paul says law, he means a specific law. He's talking about the Torah. He always means the Torah. And so the question is, do you have to go and continue to obey the Mosaic law within the new covenant? Um, and within that law, there's certain works that always go and come up in his letters. And if you're looking within, you know, uh, kind of the early, early context, they always seem to come up as well. So things like 
circumcision, Sabbath, food laws, you know, the various kind of calendar observances, th things like that. Uh, so those figures we call the new perspective. So Sanders, Dunn, you know, Wright, people like that. Uh, they identify this and say, this, these are the works of the law that, that Paul's talking about. And when you're practicing these things, you are not going and trying to earn merit on an individual level. So you're not trying to say, how many points do I get for circumcision? Like, cause I need mm. 10 points to be saved. Circumcision is six points. Observing the Sabbath is three points. Now I just mm. got to do a couple other works to get up to the threshold. And then, 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 then I'm good. Uh, it's not, it doesn't carry an, an individual significance like that. It carries a communal significance. So when you're circumcised, it's not like there's, there's some sort of, uh, you know, uh, merit sticker with points attached to it. What, what, what happens is you become part of the Jewish nation. You become part of the Jewish covenant. And similarly with this, you know, Sabbath keeping food laws, you're part of the, the Jewish nation when you go and do these things. And so it has a communal rather than an individual significance. And the way that the logic runs is that, you know, why, why is that significant? Well, because the Jews are the people of God. And so uh, if you are, you know, the, the idea is that salvation is thought of as, you know, being tied in with, you know, with the Jewish people. So all these, all these Gentiles are flocking in now, that's great, but the Jews are God's people. And this is still, we still have the Mosaic covenant and they kind of be, have to be grafted into the Mosaic covenant and, you know, the nation that kind of is, the Mosaic covenant gives rise to. And so because of that, they need to go into, you know, get circumcised, you know, uh, uh, obey the, the Sabbath and, uh, you know, the food laws and all the things that go and make you make you a, a Jew and separated from all the rest of the nations. And so within that new perspective, you know, to understand, you know, Paul's reason is basically like, no, that's that's not the case um, because God is, you know, God is the God of all, all people. And so if you think of, you know, Romans 3, 3, you know, 27, 28, 29. Uh, you know, for we, we reckon that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is God of the Gentiles, for there's one God who justifies, you know, the faith, uh, justifies the, what is it, the uncircumcised by faith and the circumcised by faith. So it kind of go, goes on from there. So that's, they, they, they look at that and say, that, that's the key issue. It's the Jew-Gentile question. And the question is, do Gentiles within the period of the New Covenant have to become Jews in order to actually go and receive God's grace? And that's that's what, what Paul is reacting against and rejecting works of the law. So that's some of what what's what's going on with this, this particular debate. Interesting. And you mentioned that Luther Calvin differed from Augustine. So is there is there a third point? I mean, obviously, you're saying there's lots of other points of view within these perspectives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've um, I've I've had a chance to spend spend a lot of time uh, with with Augustine on on this question, which is really enjoyable. And you'll see, uh, I, I have there's towards the end of the book, there's a very lengthy Augustine footnote on this and the way that he goes and he uses what we what, what I call the the early perspective tradition. The way that he he appropriates that, and then in in a sense goes and transposes that in the context of the Pelagian controversy. So Pelagius he's arguing back and forth about you know the nature of salvation, everything like that. And it's interesting because you have a a debate which is uh, you know which is originally between sort of you know Jews and Gentiles or you know kind of Gentile Christians um, or a mixed body of you know of, of Christians versus you know versus versus Jews on the other side. Um, 
And so you have you have that debate. And then when in Augustine's context, it's transposed into a debate about salvation between just Christians. So that, you know, when he's when he's engaging these texts versus Pelagius, the, the Jewish question has sort of fallen out, out of sight. And he's it's sort of transposed into a new a new debate. And so the debate with Pelagius becomes, you know, are there and, 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 so, so much is hard because with, with Pelagius, when we're trying to reconstruct his views, uh, it's 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 notoriously difficult because on the one hand, Pelagius doesn't always seem like he is represented in the, in the most fair and accurate way. Um, it's usually most of what we have is uh, you know, preserved by the people who dis disagreed with him. Um, but then we also he also seems to be a bit slippery. Which is interesting historically how it seems like Augustine is you know frustrated by this. He'll be on he'll be on trial in the East and they'll go and they'll ask him a question and they'll be like and he'll be like oh yeah I believe that that's fine or I'll go and I'll condemn that proposition and Augustine you know went off and like no he doesn't actually believe that what's wrong with you guys how could you let him off with this way and uh, so it's really it's 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 really interesting but what it, it seems as though what it, what it comes comes down to is that. Uh, Pelagius wants to go and have the door open for there being works that we can do that justify us apart from God's grace. And that's really what Augustine is wanting to go and shut the door to. He's wanting to go and shut the door to the idea that anything that we do apart from God's grace can can be justifying before God. Now, whether we consider that in the sense of, you know, you know, meriting forgiveness or going and, you know, God actually making us righteous through, through these things, kind of table that question as far as what we actually mean about the nature of justification there. Uh, Augustine, the, the thing he's really, he's really trying to do there is to, to close the door on Pelagius that anything that we do, you know, apart from God's, you know, sanctifying grace in our lives could go and merit the grace of salvation. And so he then, the way that he, he looks at this dichotomy is he kind of looks at the you know, works of the law as anything done apart from God's grace. And then he goes and he contrasts that, you know, with faith or works of faith. And that's anything that's done that is, that's empowered by God's grace. So then it's interesting for, for Augustine, you can still have works be justifying, but they have to be works done that are empowered by God's grace, because otherwise they, they don't. There's no, there's 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 no merit there, and there's nothing that we can do apart from His grace to you know be able to do do anything that actually is uh, you know avails anything before before God. It's interesting how um, and if this is too much inside baseball for you, feel free to. Just this is no, this is fantastic. I, I'm just I'm just taking notes here, and I'm, yeah. I'm separating apart from God's grace. Versus yeah. empowered by God's grace. I'm just having these two categories. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And so the way that he goes and, and conceives of that, um, he he kind of transposes it into this into this new new context. Now, there's there's two things to say say out of this. One is that when it comes to sort of the Augustinian perspective in relation to what you would call you know the early perspectives, they're still broadly compatible in that it's not like the 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 early perspectives are saying. Hey, all these works done apart from God's grace are, you know, meritorious. It just locates the particular debate in the context of the Jew-Gentile issue that Paul is talking about in, you know, Rome, Romans and, and, and Galatians. And so there's, there's, it's, it, it's pretty easy to go and to, to regard them as, as com, you know, compatible and to understand them as sort of, you know, mutually going, holding together a theological reality. The other thing that you, you should say that you have to kind of acknowledge is that Augustine himself 
he doesn't abandon what we would call the early perspective because outside the context of this Pelagian controversy. So towards, towards the end of his life, after he's sort of, you know, done, done, you know, uh, you know, beating Pelagius with a shovel or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, and this, all, all these disputes towards the end of his life, he has, um, he has this, this little treatise called an answer to the Jews. And what's fascinating is that here he continues to go and to say the early perspective stuff that he's, you know, said kind of early on in his career when he's outside of the context of the Pelagian controversy. So once once the 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 debate is back to a debate between between Christians and Christians and Jews, he sounds just like these early figures, like you know, like like Justin Martyr, or Irenaeus, or Ignatius of Antioch, or, or Origen, or uh, and, and then and then you know going forward. It sounds a lot like N.T. Wright as well, and these figures that we're calling the the, the new perspective. And so, um, it's important to go and to to I think to to see in, in Augustine's own thought that even where it goes and develops, it doesn't develop in a way that is incompatible with the views that that you can say the early interpreters held. It's just he's engaging a new a new problem, a new issue within the context of the Pelagian controversy, and so it. It's kind of so to take to take Calvin as one example. Calvin sets his position both in distinction to this, you know, what we call the early perspective. So what he identifies with, you know, with, with Origen, Chris Austin, Jerome, um, and both Luther and Calvin, they they kind of they often say Jerome is or not sorry Jerome. Uh, they often say that Origen is kind of the big guy who goes and gets everything wrong because in their own historical context, Origen's commentary on Romans is the earliest interpretation of this stuff that they have and they both tend to look at this and say we think this is wrong and so they kind of pin you know all the errors on on origin and say hey he must have gotten he must have messed things up uh which which is really interesting because you know having more access to historical sources now we can actually look at origin um and say he 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 instead of doing something new he's actually going and just saying what everybody before him said so mm -hmm. origin is being just being a you know a, a traditionalist rather than an, an innovator in this area the second thing is so that's the early position that calvin is uh, kind of putting his own view and distinction towards and then the second one is the augustinian one and that one as well he wants to go and to say his his view is distinct from um and so the idea that the work's done that are you know empowered by God's grace that those are justifying in some kinds of way. Uh, that's Calvin looks at and says I don't I don't agree agree with that that either. So anyway, yeah. I hope I hope that's not too yeah, that's, too much inside baseball for you. But well, I, I got to you know well, the good thing about a podcast I can re-listen and pause <laughs> to think through everything you just said because there was a lot to take in. Um, but it's interesting too, like kind of the dynamic nature of interpretation on this, like as different people were looking at these texts and even like the boldness and radical ideas of, of Calvin just going against August Augustine, right? Like yeah. the dynamic nature of that is very fascinating. Yeah. And and I think the goal, like you're saying is like, how do we get to like the, so like as close to the source as possible? Yeah. Cause if we can get to the source, like authorial intent, like what was actually meant and how it was perceived and understood by the churches, that's as close as we could possibly understand what Paul really meant. Because yeah. the trouble that I get into too is like, when we have our own kind of theological framework and whatever tradition we're part of, that kind of paints the picture and how I'm now reading that text mm. versus like when you read the Bible critically, you're really trying to get to what was Paul actually saying here? Let me try to, let me try to put this theological framework aside 
you just really look at that particular, you know, what was being said by Paul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so for me, you know, I've, you'll, you'll find in this book, I've, I've done a lot of work in, uh, or not, not a lot of work. I, ha I haven't done a lot of work. I've, uh, I've, I've built a lot on the work of, of Marcus Bachmiel, who is, uh, he's, he's the, the chair of scripture over, over in Oxford. And, um, he, he does really, really good work in, um, you know, some of his books. Uh, so seeing the word is one of them, probably the easiest, you know, introduction, uh, to the kind of methodologically, the kinds of stuff that he does. He's done a lot of really good work in, in showing how you can use early tradition as a historical guide and as a witness to the historical realities that are, you know, that, that, that the texts go and, uh, you know, give witness to. We're going to pause right here and we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Matthew Thomas next time, where he shares insights by early church fathers like Irenaeus and Justin Martyr. He also discusses how early church writings can help Christians understand their foundational theological identity. And then he shares a detailed explanation on what Paul means by works of the law. So that's next time. So that leads us to this episode's question. Dr. Thomas talked about how he struggled with understanding some of Paul's writings and the debate among Bible scholars. He talked about the importance of going to early church writings to help with interpretation. So my question is, what do you think about reading the early church writings to help with interpretation? Do you think it could help you? Let me know by messaging me on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Delgado Podcast. And if you found this podcast helpful in any way, please let me know by rating this show on iTunes and or leaving a comment. Your vote can help this show get more visibility. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll chat more next time.